to John chapter 5. We are, uh, if we could close that door over there, I think the more air we get in here, keep in here, we might cool down a little bit because I know people are, are a bit hot. If, if you come to church here regularly, particularly in the summer, I'm going to give you some instructions. If you don't like cold air, don't sit under the ACs. They are seated there and there. <laughs> and there. If, if, you, if you like to be on the warm side, maybe sit towards the front over here. And if you really, really want air and you just love, like in the, in the States where you go in, and in any store or mall and you freeze, then you sit directly underneath the ACs. But, you know, because if we do it the other way around, we're going to burn up. And this is actually, if you're ever hot, I want you to know that this is the hottest spot in the whole place. <laughs> you know, it's just something else. Anyway, welcome. And let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 5. And we are going to read the first um, uh, the first 12 verses together. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in the first and first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you would take um, this time that we spend in it and that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We need, like we sang today, to build our lives upon your love, to build our lives upon your word, to build our lives upon your son. And I pray, Father, that you would do just that. Encourage us, strengthen us, and cause us to stand on that balanced foundation of the gospel that is unshakable, immovable, and that it is the hope of our lives and even the hope of the whole world. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in John. We took a break for a while. It's been months, but we are back in John and we're going to work through this uh, gospel. And John wrote it. John spent uh, three and a half years with Jesus. 
And John wrote it for this reason. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, which we are written. But these are written, and the purpose is that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these stories that we're reading here, they're not just here by accident. They're here that we might believe and that in believing we might be filled with hope and that we might experience eternal life in his name. And here we have this man. John tells us of another sign that Jesus did. This man who had been sick for 38 years. Listen to this. As a result of sin. Jesus said to him, actually a little bit later, he says um, in verse 14, it says, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. I mean, that's there. Has to be dealt with. All right. So this man is sick because of sin. And I want to hit three things really quickly. Number one, he was in a hopeless and a helpless situation. And in my imagination and my thinking because of the sin, he was in that situation, maybe because of one bad decision that he made. I believe he was there because of the consequences of his own sin. One failure. Maybe it was a reckless act of a dare. I don't know if you guys keep up with this, but there was an article some time ago, and I think it was in Australia, a young boy, he was around 13 years old, he was dared to eat a slug. He ate the slug, and the slug had poison, and he went into a coma and was never the same again. He was in a situation because of a bad decision that he made. Maybe an accident. I remember once my uncle on the other side of the island, he, uh, let me, he, he has a car rental thing in, in, in Calarajada, and he said, when I will come on holiday, he would always give me a scooter to ride. And so, man, I was, I love scooters, particularly not, not the Vespas. Back then was the Vespinos and they had no shield. Many kneecaps were left behind. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but I had this Vespino and I just remember just in one moment, just hitting the gas and hitting a bump. And we just, I just flew and got injured. Or one time with a bicycle, there was some Germans coming and I was going downhill and I was just showing off. You know, as a young 11-year-old, and, and in my showing off, I was like, Superman, and I hit a bump, and I did Superman, and I broke my hand. Now, I broke my hand because of my stupidity, because of my silliness, because of not thinking. Maybe this guy had a sexual encounter. <laughs> and there's such things as, being able to contract syphilis in just one moment, in just one act, which causes brain damage, blindness, and even paralysis. 
But I think we would all agree that sometimes we experience suffering and difficulties and consequences because of wrong things that we did. But this was also a man who was suffering because of the consequences of sin in the world. In a sense, all physical infirmity has an indirect relationship to sin, in some cases with a direct result. When we hear of wars, when we hear of famines, when we hear of diseases, when we hear of natural disasters, when we hear of violence, of murder, of oppression, of exploitation, etc., we should remember how horrible sin actually is and how deeply we, sh we should avoid it. But the reality is that because Adam and Eve sinned, we live with the consequences of sin. So sometimes it has nothing to do with something we did. Most of the time, actually, it doesn't. It has to do with the fact that we live in a fallen world because of disobedience, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. We read the Jesus Storybook Bible a few months ago, and, and it says, in that moment, God's heart was broke and nothing would ever be the same on earth. Sickness the sweat of the brow, the thorns uh, for guard and, and, and for pro produce and wars, the selfishness, the, 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 all the consequences that came along with it. You see, God made this world perfect. He made this world without unhappiness, with no jealousy, no envy, no heartache, no death. All our trouble is a result of sin of the sin that came into the world. But also, this man not only was suffering from his own sin, not only was he suffering from the general sin of the, of the fallen nature of, of creation, but he was also suffering from other people's sin. You're like, what? Where do you see that? Suffering from the selfishness of others. All out for themselves. Nobody caring about nobody else except, number one, themselves. You see, in this situation in Bethesda, this man is waiting for the water to move. And every time he goes to make a move for it, somebody beats him to it. And he says... He says to Jesus, while I am coming, another steps down before me. Others might have had servants. Others might have been less disfortunate. But the reality is that he was not able to get help from anybody. He was suffering from other people's sinfulness. I mean, I don't have to. We could illustrate this just by boarding a Ryanair flight. I mean, you see human nature right there. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to get their luggage in there. Everybody plots and plans. Everybody's got their tactics. I remember being with Dave Shirley once we were looking for a parking spot. And I said, Lord, you love us. Give us a parking spot. And Dave goes, you should be praying for the guy in front of us to get a parking spot. <laughs> but the reality is we have a human nature. We, we are all just kind of pretty self-centered. 
And here's a man. Here's a helpless man suffering from his own sin, from the sin of the world, from the sin of others, trapped helplessly. Just helpless. And maybe you're here today and you feel helpless. Maybe is your reactions. I know that's, that's my Achilles heel. Uh, what is it called? Achilles heel. My reactions with the kids. I, I just feel like I'm ambushed constantly. You know, it's just like the, the, these two kids. It seems like 10 kids, you know, and it's, it's just like every, and, and I just, and I'm like, Lord, my goodness, the reaction. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that you just cannot give up. And maybe you say, man, I'm never going to do it again. And you know what, guys? Let me tell you something. You will never be able to keep the law. You will never, we will never be able to keep the sermon on the mount. <laughs> And if you see people that are very self-confident and very self-righteous in this area, it's because their standards are very low. I mean, after all, Jesus says, be perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. Take that one. And the reality is that we cannot keep the law. Actually, when you look at the Old Testament, it's just amazing to me. I mean, here, um, what's the first thing that happened when Moses came with the law? He came down and the place was full of idolatry and he just took the tablets and he just broke them. Then you have Joshua. I mean, I mean so Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land. Let's start fresh. And then Joshua's going to take you to the promised land. And there he is, Joshua, taking him through the promised land. And then there's sin in the camp. And then you get to the last chapter. It says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. And then there's that beautiful verse, as for me and my house. We shall serve the Lord. What's the next book of the Bible? Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Then they're like, if we only had a king. If we only had a king, things would work. So they did. A king, and they choose him on the basis of what is attractive, what is the best thing we could have on earth. And they, they pick up Saul. And Saul ends up being a terrible king. And then David, who was a man after God's own heart, but even he, less than desirable in some areas. And then you have the remaining history of the kings, where the kings of, um, of Israel all did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the king of Judah, out of them, only three, it doesn't say that they did not do evil in the sight of the Lord, that they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and even they were not perfect. And when you get to the book of Malachi, by that time, I mean, you can see, you can dissect the nature of Israel. I mean, he sent, first he sends them to Babylon, then he brings them back into the temple, and everybody's very excited. But by the time you get to the book of Malachi, they're like, how has God loved us? And when they were worshiping God, 
Guys, when they were worshiping God, imagine David. David says, how can I give God what costs me nothing? When it comes to the time of Malachi, you know what they're doing? They're actually taking sheep. They're stealing sheep to give to God. They're taking, they're going to somebody else's yard. They're stealing a sheep and then they're going to the temple. This is for, for the Lord. But not only that, if they had their own sheep, they would look at all the sheep. Say they had a hundred and they're, Here's that beautiful one, you know, just all gorgeous. They're all so nice. <laughs> Can't give that one to God. Oh, that one's lame. That one's blind. We'll give that one to the Lord. And they would bring that. This is for the Lord when they were supposed to bring a blameless one. The point I'm trying to make is that the whole Old Testament is not to show us how greatly we could keep the law. The whole Old Testament shows us that we can't keep the law. You see, when you see the Son of God as Job did, he was a righteous man. There was not a guy on earth like Job. And then with his whole wrestling after he lost everything, the Lord says to him, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you and you are going to answer to me. Where were you when I created everything? And then by the end of this conversation, he says, oh, my Lord, I have, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. Job was actually worse than he ever imagined. Peter Cast your nets on the other side. Oh, come on, Jesus. We've been fishing all night. You're a rabbi. I'm a fisherman. Just let me do what I do. No, cast your nets on the other side. Okay, I, your word, I will do it. And then he said these words, depart from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. But he still didn't discover how bad he was. In the garden, he says, though all deny you, I will never deny you. And then Jesus, um, and then he said, when he was questioned, he says, I, I don't even know who Jesus is. And he went away, wept bitterly. But, but I, and when the Lord restored him, do you love me? Lord, do you know that I love you? He was stripped of self-righteousness and brought into God's love. You see, uh, Jonah, oh my goodness, Jonah, where he's like, I'm not going to go to the Nineveh, to Ninevite. Those are unrighteous people. And then he runs away. You know, he ran to Spain, to the furthest place he could run. And then uh, as he was coming here, the fish, that huge fish swallowed him. And then the Lord said to him, you have compassion on this plant. Should I not have compassion on these people that do not know their left hand from their right hand? They don't know what they're doing. He, Jonah was faced with his own sinfulness and with God's compassion. John, when he said, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven to consume these people, the Samaritans? And Jesus said to him, you don't know what spirit you're of. I did not come to destroy men's lives. I came to rescue them. All of them had to realize, and all of us, that we are 
I don't want to sound like really negative, but it's true. We are worse than we could ever imagine. But you know what? We have a Savior that is greater and loves us much more than we could ever dream. In this helplessness, what did God do? What did God do to this painful, hopeless, and sinful situation? He drew near to the most hopeless of men in that in Bethesda. The most hopeless one, he came and drew near. He was so hopeless that it says, I have no man to help me. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been in a situation? I, and I'm sure we all have. We, and, and, the, and I think the Lord loves to bring us into these situations where no, unless God comes through, it's over. There's no man to help us. And you might not have no man to help you, but Jesus, God incarnate, drew near to this man. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, just think about this literally, visually, however you want. Here this man is lame, hopeless, helpless, guilty, not able to go into the stirring of that water, which he thought would heal him. And here the Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, leaves heaven. Leaves heaven and comes down to earth and meets this guy and says, do you want to be made well? God. God left heaven for him. And listen, guys, God left heaven for us. God left heaven for you. Now notice another thing. Notice that the solution to this man came in a way that the man just wasn't expecting. It says that he was waiting for the water to be troubled. You guys know that song, huh? The, the water, the wait in the water, who's going to trouble the, the water. He was waiting for that water to stir so he can jump in. He had put his hope in this thing that was going on. But he wasn't going to do, Jesus was not going to do things in the way that this man was expecting. Now, I, I want to say, say something. It's a bit difficult sometimes, but, and I got to be careful how I phrase this. But, so when we read the Bible, we have to be careful that not every statement you guys are going to cringe when I say this. I know it. Although the whole Bible is inspired, get ready. Not every, not every statement in the Bible is true. I know you're cringing. Let me explain. When Satan said to Eve, you will not die when you eat of this fruit. That's a lie. And that's recorded in the Bible. You with me? 
Doesn't mean the Bible lies. I mean, Satan lies. But we, we kind of, the counsel of, of, of Job's friends, there's a lot of counsel there to Job's friends. But it's not, although it's recorded in the Bible, it's not all good counsel. Job, you have to be careful because you have to realize his, his friends actually gave him terrible counsel. So if you read that counsel and you go, oh, wow, that is amazing. For example, when I told Dave Shirley I was going to get married, he says, what you do, do quickly. Well, that's something that Jesus said to Judas. And he went and hung himself. You know, so, I mean, he was kidding around. But what I'm trying to say is that there's statements there that are not necessarily true. And we need wisdom when we read the word. In the same way, I believe that there's a portion of scripture here. Not every theologian believes that. Not every Bible teacher believes this, but I believe this. And I believe that when John says, listen to this, John says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. See that verse? Is it there? You guys see it? It's verse four. Is it there? Okay, good. I believe that verse is quoting a superstition of the time. It's a superstition of the time. Whoever would go to that water whenever it stirred first would be healed. Now, I'm not saying that God couldn't do it. I mean, many people were healed in weird ways in the Old Testament by God. But I do believe in this case, I just don't see the survival of the fittest with God. I don't see it as like whoever can beat everybody else to that thing will be healed. I just don't see that in the character of God. So what I think is that John is actually quoting a superstition of the day in Jerusalem. And it makes complete sense when Jesus does it differently because it's not man's superstition that was going to heal this man. It wasn't going to be horoscopes. It wasn't going to be um, some, some uh, ritual. It wasn't going to be some crazy thing. It wasn't going to be a superstition. It wasn't going to be man's methods, but it was going to be directly God's intervention. He expected help from a man. He expected healing from a pool. And Jesus has nothing to do with superstition no the son of god was there the son of god himself was there ready to intervene and help that guy a different method god's method a man neglected forgotten and overlooked in this multitude of sick people and maybe you can relate notice what he says you know, I have no man to help me. And here God was going to use a different method. But listen, God had not overlooked this man like everybody else had. He was seen by Jesus. He was seen by God. And I love this, you know, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, it says that God told Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. Don't you think sometimes when you're going through difficulties, like nobody sees what you're going through? Nobody knows. 
and actually nobody does know. Sometimes the, the turmoil inside of us is worse than anybody knows. We don't even know how to articulate it. We don't even know how to, we don't even understand it ourselves. But God said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. The Lord said to Hezekiah, I have seen your tears. You know, in a moment, just nobody's around. You go out in your affliction and your frustration and your desperation, and, and you are just crying by yourself somewhere. Nobody knows that you've been crying. But God does. I have seen your tears. The Lord says, I have seen your trouble, your anguish, your grief, your fear, your sickness, etc. And, Je and Jesus never sees one of his people in distress or affliction that he doesn't have compassion to help. Remember when, when he saw the, the multitudes on the mountain and the disciples are like, send them away. It says that he was moved with compassion. I think because actually part of the text here, the Pharisees, I think we've developed a mindset that maybe because we made a mess with our own sin, maybe because we just live in suffering under a sinful world, and maybe because we're suffering under the abusive practices of another person, their own sin, we think that God looks at us with judging eyes. Like the Pharisees. But listen to this. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Actually, yeah, 33. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks, verse 11, to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. And then he says, he says, uh, uh, Moses prays, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. For how will, the, how will it be known that your, that, that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So shall we separate your people and I from all the people that are upon the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing for you. You have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please, listen, Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me your value. Show me your greatness. And in verse 19, it says, then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you. I will be, gra I, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I have, will have compassion. 
But he said to me, you cannot see my face. No man shall see me and live. And then he says, here is a place by me and you shall stand by the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone. And then, um, where is it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. In verse 6 of chapter 34, and the Lord, verse 5, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the nature of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So here you have it. My goodness. He says, here is my nature. God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy to thousands. The mercy of God. Of course, he says he will not let the guilty go free. But I mean, remember, he's sending his son to go on the cross to pay for our guilt because of his mercy. So his mercy triumphs. So God sees. Listen, for us here, God sees your tear. God sees the hopelessness. God sees the traps. God sees the, 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 the sin that you suffered from people, the sin that you suffered from yourself, and the sin that you suffered just because we live in a fallen world. He sees us and he has compassion. He shows mercy. It might take longer than we thought. 38 years, guys. 38 years is a long time. What were you doing 38 years ago? Some of you weren't even here. <laughs> it might come in a different way that you thought. The compassion of God. It might come without us realizing it is him that is near us. Because remember, Jesus heals him. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He just thinks a man did it. And then later on, he realizes it's Jesus, which reminds me of a lady we used to have at church. They used to have a restaurant called Number 8. And uh, Paul was the chef there. Heidi was the waitress. Martin was another chef there. I mean, the whole church was working in this coffee, sh in this restaurant, made great burgers. And why am I telling you this? Oh, Alex. Alex was in England and she became a widow. Her husband died of cancer. And her, his wife, the, the Julian, the, the, the couple, they were a couple, his wife left them for a football player. They came here to the island. And, 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 then, and then, so she, one was brokenhearted, having been left. The other one was brokenhearted, having lost his, her husband. And listen to what she said. She said, when I lost my husband, it's like a cloud came, like a blanket of warmth and comfort came over me. She said these words into, and she wasn't a Christian. 
And I said to her, that was Jesus. And she gave her life to the Lord, realizing what, how, how comforting God had been in her life before she even knew who he was. And then met him and then grew with him. So it might take longer than we thought. It might come in a different way than we thought. It might come without us realizing that it is him near us. After all, C.S. Lewis was an atheist and he wrote these words as, as, as in his atheism. He didn't want to believe in God. He didn't care about God. And he says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling when my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. I didn't want to meet God. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in and I admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He was in Oxford. He's a, Nor a Northern Irish guy, from, but he was a pro professor in Oxford. He says, I did not see then what is now the most shining thing, the divine humility of God that will accept a convert even on such terms. It didn't come how he thought. He didn't even want it. And it didn't come in his timing. And he says, the prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking and struggling and, and resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? And he says, oh, the divine mercy. The hardness, listen to this, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. That is from Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. And let me ask you, would you like your life to be hope, filled with hope today? Would you like to know that your own mistakes have been forgiven? That as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed them for us from us at the cross. Sometimes we try to defend ourselves from the past mistakes. The best thing that the Christian life is the, the only war that when you put on the white flag, you win. Would you like to know that your sins are forgiven? Blotted out. Would you like to have a new nature? This man was unable to walk and yet Jesus says to him, he does a deep work in him. He does such a deep work that the man receives energy transformation inside of himself in a way that he would never be the same again. He was able to take up his bed and walk after 38 years. Would you like to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, not have God at a distance, 
this creator that might be there or not. And when you pray, you just kind of pray, hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody in there? You know, just kind of hoping that somebody's hearing. Or would you like to understand that the Holy Spirit is close with us? We can invite him in us and he can come upon us. Would you like to be able to smile at death? One day in your life, you will stand all by yourself. And it can be hopeless. It can, it can be lonely. No man will be able to help you. I have a friend that I'm, I'm flying tomorrow to Italy. As the doctor said to him, there is nothing else we can do. They moved him to a hospital close to home and he's passed on to glory. I'm going to the memorial. He wrote, Thank you both for your prayers. The love and affection and Silvana and I have for you knows no bounds. Sil Silvana and I consider you and Loretta our dearest and closest friends in, here in Europe. If God should call me home, I do, I do rejoice that we can embrace in his pure love. Please hug Loretta and your wonderful boys from Pastor Craig. With confidence. With confidence. To glory indescribable. And if you want this, because remember the question that Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? Jesus is here today saying, I can give you this. Do you want it? Do you want to be made well? Because the reality is that sometimes you could, I mean, in this situation, you could have found a person that just loves to play the victim. There's people that love to wallow in their circumstances so they can just complain, so they can manipulate, so they can see the, have the, the mercy of everybody around them. And actually never want to be made well. And here Jesus asked a profound question. Do you want to be made well? And you have to search your heart this morning today. Jesus standing here. Do you want to be made well? Because he came to save you. At the cross you are loved. He at the cross. He earned it. He possesses it. He has the power. He can make you he can transform you he can give you he can raise your dead spirit and raise it to newest newness of life he can transform you not a band-aid not an emotional thing he can do a deep work in your soul do you have the desire to be made well <laughs> Because remember, he records, John records this here for us. 
that you might believe and that in believing you might have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Would you come to Jesus with me this morning? The one who sees. The one who helps when man can no longer help and does that which man could never do. The one when he sees your tears has compassion. The one that it doesn't matter if it was your own sin or the sin of the world or the sin of somebody else that's tormenting you that he comes and he's moved with compassion. And it's not, maybe you think you've missed it. Everybody else has an advantage. No, no, no. He doesn't deal with the survival of the fittest. He comes to the weak, to the poor, to the broken. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you will do what only you can do and no man could ever do. Pray that you would forgive, Lord, when we put our trust in superstition or methods. When we put our trust in men that are just looking out for themselves. When we are in the situation, we might be in the situation that we're in because of ourselves, because of a dumb stupid decision or even just a stubbornness about us. But Lord, you are able, no matter what the reasons are, you are able to step in and do what only you can do, Lord. And we ask that you would today just move among us like you did in that pool of Bethesda. And then you will breathe life. Maybe somebody realizing that you've helped them in the past and it was you. I want to say to you guys here today with your heads bowed down, if you do not know the Lord this morning, he's asking you, do you want to be made well? And the answer is very simple. You can say to God, no. Or you can say to him, yes, I do. No matter how little the yes is. And I'm going to ask you to pray in your heart. You don't have to vocalize it. Just pray in your heart. Lord Jesus, yes, I do want to be made well. Thank you for seeing my tears. Thank you for seeing my situation. And Lord, yes, I do want to be made well.
I believe that you came to help this man and I believe that you can help me even if it's just a little bit that you believe. Pray that in your heart. And Father, I just pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will not be trapped by the methods of the world, that we would be people that are filled with hope in you. Just like Paul prayed that we would receive a spirit of wisdom in, the re in revelation and the knowledge of you, that we would know the hope of your calling, that your life is a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of love in your spirit, Lord. And I pray, Father, that this room would be filled and transformed with wholeness and that we would all just take up our beds and just walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.